Good morning. If uh, this is your first time here, uh, man, you are an honored guest here. We won't embarrass anybody, but just know uh, my name's Tim. I get to be pastor here, and um, I, I don't ever think that anyone's ever accidentally here that you're here because God wants you to be here because he loves you and he's pursuing all of us and we get to bask in that together. And uh, I preach a lot here. Um, I, I know that preaching is kind of maybe not a popular thing at times because, you know, sometimes you're like, hey, don't preach at me, right? Like that's even thought of as being a negative thing, you know? If your parent is talking to you, you're like, man, stop the preaching. Well, we actually, uh, the New Testament, now it doesn't, there are negative forms of that, but uh, one of the commands in scripture even is keroxon ton logon, which in Greek, that, written in Greek, but means preach the word. So sometimes when it's like, don't preach at me, it's because probably like someone's preaching their ideas. <laughs> but when the word of God is being proclaimed to you, that is pure preaching and that we can't get enough of and need to hear. And one of the things um, I desired to preach for over 20 years before God gave me the opportunity to preach on a consistent basis. Um, it was 1996 that I met Jesus and deeply wanted to spend the rest of my life preaching. And he said, you can start doing that in 2019. So 23 years later, and um, it, it does feel like uh, one of my heroes of the faith um, said he trembles when he gets, gets up to preach. Not because he's scared of public speaking, but he trembles because he's about ready to think, say things about God. And a human saying things about God is something to tremble about and to, to make sure that, that truly uh, it is God's words, not, not man's words. So one of the things that I seek to do, just this a little behind the scenes of preaching, um, one thing I seek to do is not preach unless I've been changed by these words. So it is soul-crushing <laughs> to be a pastor that is uh, selling something you aren't smoking. It's probably not the best illustration, but, um, but it is a, it, it's not a good thing for my soul to be proclaiming things to you that God has not been changing me by. And um, so that's a way you can pray for me throughout the week is on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't spend you know, the whole week preparing, but the whole week I am open to the transformation of the word and not wanting to be up here until I feel like I've really been changed by it, expecting that God is going to change all of us by it. Um, so I think it's good for the lead pastor of a church to preach a majority of the time, but I don't think it's good for a lead pastor to preach all the time. <laughs> Because I kind of feel like sometimes like I'm in the, the, the trenches, the, you know, in the foxhole, and it's like, hey, I think I need to go back off the front line for a little R&R &R for a little bit, let someone else preach and proclaim to me, seek to be proclaimed that way, just you know, to, to be a part of the church like, like all of us are. And, um, and so in 2023 so far, this is our 16th Sunday and I've preached 14 of the 16 Sundays. And so, so I'm just, I, I'm not like consumed by sin and stuff like that. But I'm like, hey, I think I need to step out of the pulpit for a couple of weeks and, and just kind of be refreshed by other people. I'll, I'll keep pastoring and meeting with people and leading. Uh, but you can pray next Sunday, Tanner is going to be preaching on Genesis chapter 14. The following Sunday, uh, many of you are starting to get to know the Phil Green family, and Jonathan will be preaching on Genesis 15 in two Sundays. So I will be here for those, and, uh, and please be, be praying into those, those next two weeks as well. Uh, this morning, we're diving into Genesis 
chapter 13. And we, we do have uh, bi- full Bibles on the Connect table. We also have just the book of Genesis where every other page is blank for you to take notes. Uh, those are both gifts if you'd like to take one or take five of them and do a Bible study at work. Um, b- b- uh, please take advantage of that. Verse 1 of Genesis 13 starts by saying, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. Verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. This is like Bedouin-style tents if you've ever seen pictures of it. They're, they're large, probably like 1,000 square feet type tents. Uh, so Negev, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Um, this is in context of a story. That's, if this is the first you're hearing these verses, this is in context of a story that's happening. You're welcome to, to read that, Genesis chapter 12, or, or we put the sermons on podcasts and online. But two Sundays ago before Easter, we were in Genesis 12, and there was a great drought in Israel to the point, what will become Israel, to the point that it seems like they were afraid that they were going to starve to death. And so Abram takes everybody that, that was part of his household down to Egypt to survive because the Nile River's there, it almost never dries up, and you can, you can survive off of the Nile. And while there... Abram was freaked out because he somehow had the strong idea that my wife is beautiful and I will be killed by an Egyptian and they will take my wife as their wife. So he has this, this clever idea to solve it, which is just tell everybody that you are my sister so then I could be the popular brother maybe be uh, even the popular brother-in-law, but not be killed, and we'll survive this drought thing together. And so this plan, the wheels fall off this plan, um, as a lot of our plans do when we don't stop and pray about them, and, and we just kind of think we've got this great idea. But so Pharaoh, not just an Egyptian, but Pharaoh himself takes a liking to Sarai and she is about to become the queen of Egypt, <laughs> Abram's wife. And Abram is faithless, the man of faith. We can't see his faith there, and God intervenes. God rescues Abram from himself, from his big-time failures, and where verse 13 picks it up is they're on the way home. <laughs> Might have been quiet in the car <laughs> after <laughs> that type of uh, escapade, but they're on the way home in the caravan. And um, what I love, though, is we don't know if the drought is over. We're not told if they're just going back to Egypt or going back from Egypt because Pharaoh has sent them away. We're not exactly sure what the situation is. Um, But what we see Abram doing is making a new beginning, It's kind of like, hey, 
And, you know, these are great marriage moments. Hey, can we do a redo? <laughs> can we, can we do, kind of hit the redo button and kind of start this thing over? I, I feel like after God made all these promises to us, just kind of the story turned dark for a while. Can, can we get back in step? And I love that how Abram comes back is you can tell he's making a new beginning. He goes back first to the altar that he made when he first got the promises of God. That's where he goes straight back to. And verse 2 specifically tells us Abram is now very rich. He's very rich. The way everything played out in Egypt is they pillaged the Egyptians. <laughs> Even through all of his missteps and misturns, God blessed thing to do materially in ways that God said he was going to do. God told him, like, I am going to bless you in land, in things, spiritually. And even in, in Abram's mistakes and failures, God's promises did not stop. And Abram says yes to God's promises. He stumbles into all of this God's promises were kept. God's blessing was kept. Abram comes to this new beginning of worship. He returns to the promises of God. He returns to the calling of God. Then look at verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So it wasn't just that God was blessing Abram. He was also really blessing Abram's nephew, Lot. He's the son of Abram's brother, who we had read previously had died prematurely. And so Abram has kind of taken his nephew under his wing, and his nephew has been really blessed. And then conflict comes up, and I, it's so fascinating that at the end of the section it says, at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. These are the people who are expected to be the conflict. The, remember, Moses is writing this after leading people out of Egypt, who had been slaves for hundreds of years. And now this book is trying to get Egypt out of the people. The people have gotten out of Egypt. Now the book is getting Egypt out of the people. And these people are going to walk up to a, the Jordan River, actually, and they are going to actually go into this land that's promised, and they're going to see the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and other people groups and they're going to see that they are like big, strong Norwegians, basically. It's like, like we've had people come from other places to Iowa and be like, why are the people here big, tall, strong, you know? And it's like, uh, you know, it just, just people notice. It's like these people seem bigger than people I'm used to, like not like in an unhealthy way, just in a like bigger frame type people. And here, what's fascinating is like when the original recipients look at dating to them, they say, we were like ants compared to those people. We're scared of those people. They're intimidating to us. And, and, but 
that's not where the strife is in this section. The strife here is with family. <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just my family. <laughs> we, that's where the conflict is in this passage. They return to worship. They return to God's promises. They return with all of this physical prosperity. And then the, the strife is between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. They have so many goats, possible cows, sheep, that there just isn't enough grazing ground for all the animals to be healthy. And even in rural Iowa, I feel like this situation isn't a situation most of us encounter. Like, it feels to me far removed from my life. Like, having too much livestock where there's, my family are just fighting each other because we have too, too much livestock and not enough grazing ground to go around. Um, for most of us, that's not a familiar story that we actually live in. But one thing that's been like stirring in me this week, challenging me this week, is I feel like if we zoom out from the details of that conflict... I think that there's a principle at play here that I think is very applicable to every one of us. Uh, God's prosperity brings strife among God's people. It's something I, I think we see a lot. God's prosperity brings strife among God's people. Like God blessed Abram and Abram's family. They had so much from God's hand. They had so much... And because they had so much, they started fighting each other. And I feel like this can happen in a church so much. The prosperity of a church can bring, like maybe the, the prosperity of a church can bring strife. Like maybe the Lord really blesses a church financially. And instead of rejoicing, getting excited, and being like, man, there's a lot we could do with that. Like, man, there's a lot of people we can help. There's a lot of good we could do. A lot of times, like, fights break out on how to use that money. And it's like, man, is this a blessing or a curse that, uh, that this is causing fighting? I think uh, sometimes fights break out because lots of people are coming to a church. Lots of broken people. Who uh, At a previous church, I remember we had um, just recognized there were a ton of homeless people within walking distance of our church. And we were, we were like, man, how can we be a blessing to that community? How can we do this? So we actually sent a bus around, and, and right in front of the church doors, a bus would stop every Sunday morning, and people would get, get out. And I remember, like, one guy brought his dog into the church service, you know? And it was not like a trained <laughs> service dog. Like, it was just the guy's street dog, you know? And, uh, and then I remember one guy just would usually sit in the front row and would just stand up at times and sometimes turn around and just start yelling things to people, you know? And it's, I'm not a fan of, like, hey, let's make the church as chaotic as possible, but I'm also a fan of, like, when you observe Jesus' ministry, it's, it's uh, outside our comfort zone quite a bit. <laughs> when he's doing, like, real stuff in our real lives, it's messy, and it, it can be a little chaotic at times. And, uh, you know, we don't seek that, but we shouldn't seek to stop it. I remember at times we were like, that might be a good thing. 
that uh, people feel so comfortable that they're just themselves in our community. You know? Now, we want all of us to meet Jesus and be changed by Jesus, but you know, uh, in the last 15 years of ministry, I've had times where it's like, um, like oh man, we got to meet together. And as, as I'm talking with people, and I'm not trying to make myself like always the holy person in the room or in the conversation, but, but being surprised sometimes where it's like, man, people just keep showing up to my community group. Like, can we get them to stop? Like, is there, like, I like the six of us, and I want to keep it the six of us. So what do we have to do to keep it the six of us? You know, because just people keep coming and ruining what we have. And, or it might be, you know, like, I feel like if 3,000 people walked in right now, it probably feel a little unsettling. <laughs> if 3,000 people walked in right now, it might be like, oh, did Tim sell his soul to the devil to have 3,000 people? Like, what did we do wrong? You know, what are we doing wrong? Are we just, uh, you know, just telling people whatever they want to hear? And, and look, all these people must mean that this is a terrible thing. And... Uh, you know, reading my Bible, like, there was a day where God wanted 3,000 people to join one church and give their lives to Jesus on the same day. And it's like, he could do that again. Now, I'm not wanting, like, oh, this sacred church is supposed to be a mega church or whatever that means, you know. But, like, if God wants to do mega things in our community, like, you know, how great would it be if we're secretly texting each other being like, hey, collectively, how much vacation time do we have here? Let's add it up. Okay, can we all take our vacation time right now and just start discipling these people over the next week? Because things are happening that have never happened before, and let's do this thing. As opposed to like, I, I'm not coming back to that church, man. It became a mega church, and that's wrong. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, like what God is doing, and, and just there's so many times I feel like that God's prosperity brings strife among God's people. And my hope is just that um, God would give us eyes. Like real eyes to see, to see what he's doing, to see what he's doing in our midst. Something, uh, I think sometimes we see something and it feels so complex to us. It just feels like, man, I, I can't see a way forward. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do tomorrow. I, I, I don't know. And to be okay there, because God's okay there. He's like, good, good. This is exactly where I want us to be right now, you and me, right here. This is where I want us to be. And, you know, like God was really fulfilling his promises to them, and they should have been marveling at what was happening. Like the shepherds of Abram and the shepherds of Lot should have been like, this is such an amazing mess. <laughs> I love it. I have no idea how all these animals are going to eat tomorrow, but this is us high-fiving, by the way, if you didn't know what I was doing here. I'm a shepherd high-fiving another shepherd, you know, as we're just like, we have no clue what to do tomorrow. We have just used up all of the food. God is blessing us. I hope we're alive tomorrow to do this again, you know. Um, they had issues to figure out, but strife shouldn't have been a part of it. And Abram knows this and sees this. Look at verse 8. 
Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. So right up till now, we only know that there's strife among Abram's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. But by Abram saying this, and by the way Abram is talking, I think we can infer that Lot is, is uh, um, we use the term at my home, learned it from Ian Freeman, that are you in the fun zone right now or are you in the no fun zone? You know, sometimes you're just, you're grumpy and you're just like, I don't know why, but I'm just in the no fun zone right now. Um, I'm trying to get into the fun zone. Give me a little bit of time here. Um, but it seems like Lot's in the no fun zone as it relates to all of this. Abram's herdsman, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're family, we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Then Abram gives this very wise, mature um, plan. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. So Lot looks around, he lifts up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley, he's drooling over the Jordan Valley, was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt with the Nile River in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Little backstory information there. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So even though all the promises of blessing a new nation of a blessing of a new nation of land were given to Abram. Abram invites his nephew to choose the land he wants to dwell in. And Abram doesn't qualify it. He doesn't like give it in a way of like, hey, let's make sure it's 50-50 here. Let's make sure it's an even. He just says, you choose and I'll go in other than you choosing. And Lot doesn't seem to pray about it. Lot lifts up his eyes and he drools over the Jordan Valley. It's the valley of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the only fresh water consistent source that goes north-south through, the land of, uh, through that whole land. The Mediterranean is on the west coast and the salt level in the Mediterranean, it's, it's salt water with high salt content. So you can't just take that and just put on the fields. You actually, even today, the Jordan River is like 10% of what it used to be because it, all of the agriculture in Israel, they're pulling water from the Jordan River. And Lot looks and he sees how great the Jordan Valley is and he says, I'll take all of it. We will dwell in all of the Jordan Valley. Uh, he chooses all the fertile area and he just leaves Abram in a massively tight spot. It, like that is all of the land worth grazing. And uh, it's not clear exactly how Abram's livestock are going to be able to survive because Lot took all the land. You know, he didn't say, well, you just take the western banks of the Jordan. I'll take the eastern banks. Let's not cross the river. And there we go. He takes it all. 
And Lot nestles up to the city of Sodom. We're told the men there are wicked. They're great sinners against the Lord. When Lot lifts up his eyes, he's only looking for fertile land. When Lot lifts up his eyes, he's only, he's only thinking about stock, his fertile land. He, uh, he's been given a blank check by Abram, and he, he writes as much as he thinks is in the account from his uncle. And uh, he isn't thinking more deeply than that. He isn't thinking of his walk with God, the ramifications that this decision has for his faith, which has massive implications of his faith, which we'll see over the next few chapters. And I feel like a lesson for us to take to heart, for us to grow wise from in our own lives, is eyes of flesh can't see what eyes of faith see. Eyes of flesh can't see what eyes of faith see. That if you're just like, hey, I'm just in this for numero uno, just thinking about myself, I, I, I know this conflict, like Lot's vision is limited. When, when we see conflict with just our eyes, when we see opportunities to solve the conflict with just our eyes, we can't see what we need to see. Eyes of flesh can't see what eyes of faith see. And in the middle of that, maybe Abram's just like, looks up, just like, okay, here we go. I don't want to go back to Egypt and tell everybody that Sarai's my sister. Uh, maybe dealing with another, like, really would love a lot more water here, Lord. Um, he doesn't freak out here. He seems to be present in this moment, and the Lord speaks. I love, and it's amazing how many times the Lord speaks to Abram. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. That's a very important part. After Lot and his family are gone, the Lord comes to Abram. Lift up your eyes. So just as a Bible reading tip, and this is why sometimes it's good, it's fine to have on your, on your phone like a verse of the day that gets popped up and you read that verse. Great. There's nef never, it's never wrong to read a verse of Scripture. And sometimes when we are not immersed in the context of that, we can miss some really big things. And one thing is repetition. Whenever the same phrase is repeated in the same, uh, the same story, a lot of times it's meant for you to, to lean in closer, pay really close attention. Remember, it, when the problem came, it said Lot lifted up his eyes. eyes of, he lifted up his eyes. Now, you know, so you might not think that you're like going to be at home and geeking out on, oh, lifted up his eyes, lifted up his eyes, oh my gosh, you know, but it's okay if you are, like that's a good place to be is to, 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 to realize what's happening right here. And, and it's the same phrase, but this time God tells Abram, hey, why don't you lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, um, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, which he's seeing a lot of dust around him, right? Um, that if you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. 
which the assumption is you can't, so you can't even count your offspring. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This chapter is just stunning. It really is. Lot had lifted his eyes and drooled over the Jordan Valley. Now God tells Abram, I want you to lift up your eyes. Let's wait till Lot is gone. Then he tells Abram, just look around. And yeah, even look to the Jordan Valley. All that land, all this land around, um, like I'm, I'm still giving it to you. I'm still promising it to you, to your offspring forever. He tells him to walk confidently all over all that God is giving to him. And what I like here is we don't, so often we don't actually hear Abram's response to God. And, and I actually, like, I think that that's right on and is brilliant of our God and how he writes and tells us of what is and what is to be and what happened and all that stuff, is, is we don't hear Abram's response. There's no record response, but we can forth conversation. Just what God told him, we don't hear his response, but we see his response. I love that. We can observe his response. What does he do? Once again, he builds an altar to the Lord. He says, okay, I'm going to worship you right here. Like, like, that's my, there isn't a quick action step that's like, so you better, you know, tunnel some irrigation tunnels or whatever you got to do. He's just like, what you're telling me would take you to pull this off. What you're asking me to look up and see is things that I could only see if I'm seeing your vision for me instead of my vision for me. His response is just like, what I could do right now is worship you. That's a, you know, maybe I still don't even know how my sheep are going to drink tonight. (laughs) But I know I've heard from you, and I can say yes to you, and um, I want I think that, man, would this be true for every one of us, is I want God's vision, not mine. I I want God's vision, not mine. I want him to give me his vision. I want to see the conflict. I want to see the strife. I want the complexity of it all. Situations how I have no clue how we're going to make it. And I want to see it with his eyes, not my eyes. Instead of me just looking up and being like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, just to be like, okay, God, let let me be present with you. And would you, by your grace, like, let me see what you want me to see? And I think the first thing he wants all of us to see is the cross. Like, that's not a Jesus juke type thing of like, we're talking about that. His heart towards us is the vision he has, sons is each of us receiving what his son volunteered to do to rescue us. That actually all of the strife that would be between us and God, like he took care of. He paid all of that. 
He, 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 and we are even told, like, what makes that, like, as many of the sand and the dust and all that stuff is not just like, oh, I'm a Jew. I have, I have Jewish blood running through my veins. Um, that's not, we're told later in Scripture, when he is speaking to Abram about Abraham's children, what he's talking about is when people hear God and say yes to what God has for them, they put their faith in God, not themselves, that they, they are doing what Abraham did. And we're going to see he did that so imperfectly. And God is perfect, not us. So that relationship is secure because of him as we follow him imperfectly. But in faith, we do follow him. And so when he says, lift up your eyes, would we lift up our eyes and see the cross? Where he paid for, you know, we sing like the blood, the blood, the blood. And that can seem like really like, man, this is a weird place. And, and uh, like that, that's, not a, that's a, not a good thing to sing about. I could give you better lyrics. And the reason that, there, that we don't sing better lyrics is because that's the best we got. Because that is actually, we're told, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Which means that as Jesus bled out for us, he, he covered our sins. When God sees us now, who have put our trust and our faith in Jesus, he sees his son standing right in front of us, right beside us, right behind us. Look up and see the cross. Another thing I think where it's like through God's vision, I don't want my vision, is look up and see strife through eyes of faith. Like, what are the things that you're just like, man, this, when I think about this person or this situation, it just makes me feel bad, and I just want to distance myself from these people, or I want to distance myself from this situation. And man, I'm not, I, I think that's why we're in community together, why we're in community groups together, and you're invited to jump into one of those. Sometimes it, it, it is complex, and it, it takes like other, uh, there's, there's a lot of great scripture around seeking wise counsel. Other people who are walking with Jesus, reading the word, to say like, hey, I think this might be God's vision for that. Would you look up and see it? Would you look up and walk into it? And man, like, I think part of our lives is to just look up and let him speak to us. Just be like, God, I'm, I'm opening myself up to you. Um, I want to hear from you. I, I don't want to be like Lot that just like drools over things that I actually should be running away from. That just kind of, they seem like they're going to fulfill me and be exactly what I'm looking for, but they're actually just going to take me deeper. They're going to take me further away from him and to actually be like, um, I don't want to be like that, so would you show me where I'm being like Lot? Would you show me how to be like Abraham here? Would you show me how to see it like you see it? To, to, to look up like you are asking me to look and that with your vision, not my vision. Um, yeah. Can we do that? <laughs> I, I, it's, it's glorious, exciting, should have us high-fiving each other, and it's messy and might lead to a lot of tears, might get worse before it gets better. Um, but man, I think like that's the, none of us want to just come and play at church and have the happy face and be like, eh, and then go home and we're desperate. Like it, we, we actually want to be real people following a real God 
together in community. Um, and so one thing, would we look up and see the table? Psalm 23 even says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A lot of times God doesn't like, what would be better for God would be to just, that we think, God, would you just take all the enemies away from me? Would you just remove any strife from my life? Would you just make everything like, uh, you know, in the Lego movie where it's just like, everything is awesome. Like, it's like, could, could we just maybe naively just live that life and sing that song? But it's like, no, in the presence of your enemies, I'm going to provide for you. In the presence of your enemies, I'm going to nourish you. And, uh, and I'm going to show you my way forward. I'm going to show you how to walk with me. And the table, if we look up and see the table, is a, it's, it's one of the few things where Jesus says, this should be characteristic of you. People who walk with me should come to the table. Even to the point that we're told um, there's warnings in Scripture about not coming to the table um, like Lot would come to the table. Just be like, oh, there's free bread and drink? <laughs> I don't even have to eat lunch today. Like, like you, you know, don't approach the table that way, but approach it like you're communing with Jesus. Because that's what you're doing. That's what we're doing together as family. And this is a good time for family strife to come down as we come to his table. Conversations that need to happen need to happen. And this is a great place for the Lord to show us his vision. So as we come and approach the table, I just encourage you to spend a little bit of time meeting with him, looking to him, opening yourself up to him. If you've never really seen the cross in the way that you're like, yes, that was for me, that is what I want. I want you to wash me white as snow, give me your vision um, come to him right now. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Um, would you come to him and then come to the table? And uh, the way we do it here is we'll have uh, two people serving. Do we have... Uh, yes, thank you, Myers. So the Myers will be serving you guys. Just hold out your hand as you come up. They'll, they'll give you the bread um, broken. Um, they'll give you wine or juice. Or take those, obey your conscience there. And then the way that we do it here is, is we'll take the elements, go back to our seats, we'll remain standing, and then I'll lead us through taking it together as family. So let's respond to him. Let's look up and see him, see his table.